When Dorothy is tasked with hosting a reunion party, she's most excited to see her old emotional sparring partner, Trudy. Once Trudy arrives, the girls are surprised to see Dorothy's competitive side. It's kind of nasty and petty and intense. Even more surprising is when Trudy drops dead while they're playing tennis. Will Dorothy ever recover enough to host her party? Will Blanche and Sophia present a meaningful story? Will Rose stay mad at Dorothy forever? All of that and more in today's episode, Till Death Do We Volley. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come. Let's start by taking a moment to talk about the title. The phrase inspiring, till death do we volley, till death do we part, came from verbal contracts via kleinattorneys.com. The first printed legal documents, including the prayer, were published in 1549. The prayer of till death do we part was adopted to be used as a vow, coming after for better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health. What's interesting about that vow is it was created and used in a time when human lifespan was far less than the almost 78 years of today. From the 1200s to 1745, the average lifespan was around the mid-40s, with the exception of the 13 to 1400s when it was in the mid-20s due to that whole Black Plague thing. It is a lovely morning and the girls have gathered in the kitchen. Rose in a pink sweater is sitting at the table. Sophia in a light blue dress and dark blue cardigan is coming in to join her. And Blanche in a new, more green than teal jumpsuit with a beefer of a belt is grabbing the coffee. As they gather around each other in silence, an excited Dorothy wearing a light purple and white sweater with white pants has come in. She wants the girls to guess who she was just speaking to on the phone. Without missing a beat, Sophia says, Trudy McMahon, your bestie from high school who's coming to town for the reunion. Making yet another mind-reading telepathy buoyancy joke, Rose asks if Sophia has ESP. I'm kind of psychic. I have a bit sense. She doesn't, but she has the next best thing, a phone in her room where she listened in on the conversation. You see, children, back when we had landlines, if you had another phone in the house, you could, very stealthily, listen in on conversations being had. There was a technique to it, though. You would have to barely lift the receiver, just enough to get your finger down in there to hold down the hanger-upper button. You would pick the phone up to your ear and ever so gently let go of the button so you could connect without making a telltale click. And for me, I don't know, Coco, if you did this very often, I had to remember which phone to use because some of them made more of a staticky sound when you let go, and other ones were very clear and you wouldn't get caught. Cordless phones were a bad choice for that. Oh, I feel that's like the that worst. Made a real click, a beep or yeah, something. it beeped because it was like connect. Or you could hear like. Yep, you yeah. have to have the button. Yeah, and you got to go quick. Did you ever do it though? Did you listen in on conversations? Oh, I would. Yeah, if I got a call from my mom when she picked it up, I would just push down the the, the hang up button on the phone and keep the phone to my ear and just yes, listen. <laughs> or yeah, be like, oh, so and so's on the phone, and then you go in. And, you know, you get the got it from across the house and then you just click it. So it sounds like you hung up and then you just can't breathe or like react to anything being said or have any sounds around you that would give yourself away. I think I was bad at it. I I have a memory of my mom many times being like, is there someone on the (laughs) Josh? You're just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> giggling, tittering. Uh, I didn't do it all that often. I would kind of, my more so go-to was to linger on the line if I got the phone for my mom usually. And then it'd be like, oh, I wonder what they're going to talk about today. And then it'd be like, a, oh, sorry, I thought it was hung up. <laughs> I'll, I'll put your call through immediately. Yeah. Here, here you go. You know go. I love an eavesdrop. Let me transfer you. <laughs> 
<laughs> Just a moment. This is nothing new to Dorothy. She has had to ask her mother at least twice a year to not do that. Sophia doesn't get what the big deal is. It's not like Dorothy is so busy with phone calls, so overcome by dates and social outings. Sophia says that Dorothy is so unbusy that she's the only person to have ever been given their money back after paying for call waiting, since she never received more than one call at a time. You see children before cell phones, you had call waiting. If you got a call while you were on the phone, you would hear a beep, tell your friend to hold on, click the hanger upper button, and find out who was calling, because you also didn't have caller ID. This was available with older phones, but now you just get a single noise on your cell and you can look and see who's calling or even merge the calls. Technology, man. Wow. Blanche doesn't care about the phone call, the friend, or the Petrillo women arguing. She is horny at the idea of a reunion. She had so much fun at hers, where she was named most successful. And yes, Blanche did have a classmate who won a Nobel Prize, but she didn't keep up her appearance. And since Blanche was still devastatingly beautiful, she, of course, won. Noticing Dorothy's excitement about all of this, Rose mentions how excited Dorothy seems about all of this. And she is, not only for the reunion, but to spend time with Trudy. Why, Dorothy never had a friend quite like Trudy. A sentiment that causes Sophia to let out a slight chuckle. A chuckle that was more about her undies slipping up than what Dorothy was saying. But what Dorothy was saying was a lie, according to her. Sophia says she was lying because of Dorothy's performance of a best friend a girl could have. Oh, yeah? Has someone forgotten about the 1946 prom? Well, yeah, Sophia has forgotten. Luckily, Dorothy can fill in the blanks. With a chuckle of her own, Dorothy begins to tell the story of the prom. The girls from the tennis team had all agreed on wearing their uniform for the big dance. But when it came time to meet up, it turned out that Dorothy was the only one in her white sweater vest and short pleated skirt. Ah ha ha ha. Because of Dorothy's laughter while telling the story, Blanche and Rose join in on the giggling. With a follow-up question, Blanche wonders what her date felt about that unusual outfit. This one Sophia does remember, and Dorothy's brother Phil was totally fine with her ensemble, maybe even asked to borrow it afterwards. After Dorothy gives Sophia a look of disgust, she's back to defending her relationship with Trudy. Theirs was a playful friendship. The pranks they pulled on each other, and there were a lot, it was all part of their love language. And it's not like they had so much of a friendship as maybe a rivalry. Rose can relate to that kind of relationship. She was always the butt of the joke. Thankfully, she wasn't alone, as the entire Lindstrom clan were victims of the classic kick-me sign prank. Finding the positive in the attempted assaults, the family would save the signs and hang them across the breakfast room wall, whatever a breakfast room is, creating a sort of museum to their bullying. Some of the signs even had the original tape still intact. Now that Rose is the one giggling about a story, the girls move on, not even acknowledging what she has said. Blanche shifts the conversation back to when this bestie is coming. She won't be there for about two weeks, but Dorothy has got to get going to her tennis lesson. This is to get her in shape, not to play a nice game with a friend, but to kick her ass. With an eye raise and a giggle, Blanche is slightly surprised to see how spicy Dorothy is being about her friend coming to town. Sophia reminds her that they're Sicilian, so the thing that they're best at is holding a grudge. Well, that and holding a grudge. Pointing out that she has said holding a grudge twice, Rose is confused. Like Eddie and his lovemaking, Sophia said it twice because they're just so good at it. Two weeks have flown by, and now the girls are anxiously awaiting the arrival of Trudy. The fact that her high school friend is about to be there has Dorothy in disbelief. Dorothy, wearing a droopy white sweater with oversized turtleneck and a droopy pinkish pantsuit decorated in black swirled paisley thing, is so worked up she can't even continue helping the girls prep snacks at the kitchen island. Rose, in a teal-ish green polo collared dress, is equally excited for her. Wanting the meeting to be perfect, she's even making cheese and crackers, Scandinavia's oldest snack. It's hard for Blanche to believe that eggs kafloofy isn't the oldest dish, or ham and gandutenhurgers, or pigs in a slavlakenbuten. You know, something classically stupid. Sadly, Rose won't be making any of those, but she sure is hungry now that Blanche has mentioned all of them. Ding dong, it's Trudy. 
Nearly running to the door, Dorothy makes her way through the living room, hoping that Trudy looks good for how long it's been since they've seen each other. Well, as long as she only looks good and not great. As the door opens, we're greeted with a sassy blonde in a high-collared, light pink dress and gray blazer. Real power bitch of the 80s vibe, and I am here for it. After the ladies exchange a deep embrace, Trudy pulls back and looks at Dorothy. Searching for a compliment, she tells Dorothy that she looks, well, like it's been as many years as it has. Ouch. Unshaken, Dorothy bites back, telling Trudy that she looks just like she did at their graduation. Uh, Almost the same, except that word on the street was that Trudy was pregnant at the time. Without going into any more juicy detail about all of that, which I would love to hear about, Trudy moves on to introducing her husband, Jack. Delighted, Dorothy is surprised to learn of Trudy's good-looking husband, to which Trudy also adds that he's not just handsome, he's also rich. Oh, ha ha ha, Trudy is still funny, and still carrying those 10 pounds that she was always trying to lose. This not-very-friendly banter has Blanche and Rose uncomfortable, to say the least. Anne Francis, playing Trudy, is a Hollywood icon. Not only was she in Forbidden Planet, which is celebrated as being the first big-budget color sci-fi film, she was also the model in one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes, The After Hours. It is no surprise that she had 168 credits since her career ran from 1947 until 2004. Some of her other roles were in Rawhide, Star Time, Route 66, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, The Fugitive, Funny Girl, Mission Impossible, The Virginian, My Three Sons, Gunsmoke, Columbo, Ironside, Barnaby Jones, Wonder Woman, Hawaii Five-O, Dallas, Charlie's Angels, Chips, Fantasy Island, The Love Boat, Jake and the Fat Man, Matlock, Murder, She Wrote, Wings, Home Improvement, Nash Bridges, The Drew Carey Show, Without a Trace, and The Littlest Hobo. That was for you, Coco. (laughs) I love that guy. Just grab your hat, we'll travel like that's old style. Maybe tomorrow I'll wanna settle down. Until tomorrow I'll just keep moving on. Why, here's Anne now being interviewed and sharing a story about how she was delivered by a prison doctor. Well, let's see what we can learn from our guest today. Anne. And let me start with my first question to you. And where were you born? I was born in upstate New York, in Ossining, New York, right next to Sing Sing Prison. Uh-oh. And it's a long story, but I was delivered by the prison doctor. That I don't really? want to go into all of the story, but uh, he was the top surgeon um, uh, in New York, and, and he also was the surgeon for the prison. and. Uh, my mother had lost three children before I was born, and so she was determined that she would not go through the same problems at birth, so she was going to have cesarean. The doctor who was supposed to deliver me was in an auto accident, and the prison doctor delivered. <laughs> That's a funny story, actually. Now, playing Jack is Robert King. Starting with an Edgar Allan Poe TV movie in 1955, Robert went on to appear in 50 other productions, such as Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell, The Long Island Incident, Twitch City, Robocop, the TV series, Lonesome Dove, Bold and the Beautiful, 30-something, Perfect Strangers, Friday the 13th, the TV show, La La, but most importantly, Lust for Frankenstein, which despite my very best efforts and a lot of time doing very deep searches on sites I don't normally go to, I could not find even a millisecond clip of this delightfully fun-looking softcore adult film. Hearing all the ruckus, Sophia in a black dress decorated with tiny colorful flowers has come into the living room. When Trudy asks if she's Mrs. Petrillo, she takes the opportunity, as she always does, to say that she's actually Queen Haughty, who we have mentioned several times, Jane Fonda. After the sass, Sophia goes in for a hug, and Dorothy introduces Trudy to the girls. Excited, and well, being herself, Rose tells Trudy how happy they are to finally meet her because they've heard so much about her. Not that what she's heard has been good. Rose is then forced into taking a seat on the couch before she opens her mouth again. Flash food sighting! And these are a different pair than the ones we're usually seeing. They aren't the white ones. They're actually the worst version of puce you could imagine. I guess it sort of goes with her outfit, which when you see it from across the room, her 
ankles look a foot tall and her pants make her legs look a foot tall and then the rest of her body is very long. The late 80s were not good to, well, anybody, really. Do you think that during that time period there were more turned ankles because all the <laughs> all the loose boots, flowy flowy fabrics and loose boots. No ankle support of any kind. It's just like a flat piece of rubber and a well, if- a skin sock. Flesh boot sighting. <laughs> Later in the episode, Dorothy is wearing like a, a green gray outfit and she has grayish flesh boots. And because of her contract with her feet, the only other shoes you really see her in are those really thin sandals. So it has me wondering that because these didn't really have a heel, maybe they were the most comfortable thing for her to wear since her top priority was being shoeless. I think B. Arthur herself may have fallen in love with those shoes and then was like, if I'm wearing dressy, I'm wearing my flesh boots. I mean, what else can you what else can you surmise at this point (laughs) with all the boots? Yeah. She and, loves them. And later she's wearing a like a duplicate outfit of what she wore is wearing now. Yeah, later green, when I she's think. when she's at the house for the party, it's really not that different. It's just more of a grayish green with a, a just darker fabrics. I'm just goofing. New boot goofing. Jack has also heard a lot about Dorothy. Apparently Trudy has talked about her and their friendship back in high school as much as Dorothy has talked about Trudy, especially how they both ran for class treasurer. The girls giggle in unison and Rose joins, adding her personal experience of running for head of the bull castration club, or the top bull ball cutter offer. Just talking about it has her pining for the sound of a bull having its nuts cut off, causing its voice to jump up an octave. Unfortunately, like so many contests and pageants that she has entered, Rose lost by a hair. Getting back to the most important thing, the girl's frenemyship, Trudy commends Dorothy for standing strong after losing that treasury bid, just as she did when Stan ditched her for a younger woman. Actually, the ladies envy each other. Trudy envies Dorothy's gumption or resourcefulness, and Dorothy envies Trudy's breast implants. Fun fact, the first boob job took place in Germany in 1895. That first surgery was actually more of a reconstruction as it was on an opera singer who had had surgery to remove a breast tumor. To make the breasts look more even, the doctor took fat from her back and put it in the place of the tumor. That's from TarrantPlasticSurgery.com. Isn't that a fun fact? Wow. Over a hundred years and look at them now. They look they look great now. <laughs> yeah, boob jobs have really come a long way. I feel like it's harder for me to tell unless they're like proportionately silly. They don't look like late 80s and 90s where it was like, ouch. I love them. Ow. Ow. My chest is so So hard. tight. Tight on the <laughs> area. The girls exchange an awkward giggle and stare. As Blanche watches on, she can't help but speak up. From how they're talking to each other, they don't really seem like they're the type to call each other friend. Trudy agrees. They should be nicer in how they talk to each other. So Dorothy gives her a compliment, pointing out, literally, how the left boob looks especially nice. This comment has Rose shocked at Dorothy's behavior, so Dorothy tries being nice again, saying that she's just kidding. Both them titties look great. Getting away from judgmental eyes, Dorothy takes Trudy to the kitchen. Seeing his wife act like this has Jack wondering if they were both like that back in the day. Sophia, having been there, can answer his question. No, Trudy's boobs were much smaller in high school. Jack clarifies his question. No, not the both being both boobs. Enough with those. I'm talking about Dorothy and Trudy being rivals. That Sophia does not have an answer for. It's not like she's the award-winning, nearly 50-year running docuseries on PBS, Nova. Funding for Nova is provided by the Johnson & Johnson family of companies, supplying health care products worldwide and Lockheed, a bold new force in systems engineering, management, and technology services for defense, space, and industry. Major funding for NOVA is provided by the financial support of viewers like you. Sophia's snarky response has Blanche apologizing for her, except Sophia thinks it's to apologize for the fart she just let loose, 
which she thought had been silenced by the pillows and cushion. Left alone to linger in the awkward relationship, lack of conversation, and Sophia's stank, Jack, Blanche, and Rose are at a loss. So Rose takes it upon herself to check on the girls in the kitchen. Sophia and Blanche join her and are shocked to find Trudy and Dorothy at the table arm wrestling. As the silent competition comes to an end, Dorothy stretches out her losing fingers. Trudy then asks Dorothy, but isn't specific enough to keep Blanche from answering, how she likes having her butt whipped. So Blanche starts sharing that sometimes it can feel salacious, but... Noticing all eyes are on her, Blanche realizes that she was not supposed to be answering that question. Moving on, Dorothy has a question of her own. Would Trudy be up for a real game tomorrow? A real sport? Wanting to join in on the fun, Rose hopes that the game will be little people ice bowling. The M word is outdated, so we're not going to use it. While I couldn't find anything specific about the size of the contestants, Wikipedia claims that ice bowling is becoming more and more popular. Why, in 2009, there were even ice bowling championships in Alaska. Now, this is not your traditional bowling, except for the ball and the pin layout. But the balls are thrown down an iced lane on a lake, and instead of knocking down pins, you try to land the ball in a hole, and each hole has corresponding points. Here, I'll let CBS News explain it a little better. Tell us about your ball. Um, that's the prettiest ball on the lake right now. Yeah, and it's about, way, it's about two and a half, maybe five pounds, I don't know. About 10 years ago, Les came upon ice bowling in another city and decided to bring it to Lake Charlotte in Long Prairie. So every winter, just above the walleyes and northerns, they plow 60-foot bowling lanes on the lake and build up the sides with snowbanks. Otherwise, your ball might just keep rolling until springtime. There is no such thing as a gutter ball. They're not a gutter ball, no. Well done. Instead of pins, Les and his crew drill three-inch holes into the ice. If you land in one of the holes, you get points. And the first team to 15 wins. Players use regular bowling balls, which is a much better option than what they used to use. The first year we used turkeys, frozen turkeys, but they don't slide very good on the ice. Are you good at regular bowling? I used to be. Okay. Are you good at ice bowling? No. <laughs> the sport Dorothy was talking about was tennis. Before Trudy can agree to it or even consider it, she's worried that playing the game will only lead to Dorothy feeling sad and embarrassed, a fear Dorothy does not have, but a fear Dorothy thinks Trudy should have since they'll be in shorts and she has cellulite. Not that Trudy doesn't think Dorothy is a middle-aged cow or anything. These guys are harsh. After the nasty name-calling exchange, the girls move on to their next activity. Leaving the kitchen, Dorothy mentions that an old shared friend of theirs had given her a call. Trudy asks if he ever got married, and he did. And yes, Dorothy, we do count his husband, so hopefully lucky number four will stick. Transitioning from the kitchen to the court, the girls are on a bench watching the ball go back and forth, back and forth. Blanche in her khakis, dark teal polo top, yellow yachting jacket, and visor is next to Sophia, who is in a flowing light, light pink blouse with a matching sweater vest, an oversized bow, and a not-matching red visor who is next to Rose in purple sweats, a purple sweater, and purple visor. Their heads are twitching like a cat watching a fly, and Blanche is stunned, just stunned, that Trudy and Dorothy would be playing so hard when they aren't even trying to win over a man. This is not a new situation for Sophia. Why, the women over in Sicily battle for everything. One example she could give would be the Great String Cheese War of 1947, but she knows she doesn't need to waste time with that. These girls are educated. Sophia, being extra nonsensical, has Blanche concerned that she's been in the heat too long. A sure way to know, according to Sophia, is to check and see if her earwax is running down her head. Back to the game. The competitors are stopping to take a break. Looks like Dorothy could use a cut man because she is getting her butt kicked. You gotta cut me. I can't see him blind out there. Ah! Ah! Trudy offers her an out, saying she can just forfeit, a.k.a. surrender, and accept her loss. But Dorothy doesn't know the meaning of forfeit, which has Rose disgusted, since Dorothy's a teacher and all. Shouldn't she know these things? Now it makes sense to her why the country of Japan is succeeding in areas America is failing. That's kind of teetering on oh-boy territory, but I get what she's saying. Dorothy knows that to forfeit means to quit, and she refuses, so she ups the ante saying she's not just going to beat Trudy in the game, she's going to kill her. In the game, of course. 
As confident as Dorothy is as she heads back to the court, Blanche isn't so sure she can make up for how far behind she is. Rose has no doubts. Why, look at how good she's playing now, running Trudy ragged. That is until Trudy trips and falls, and apparently falls hard because she's not getting up. Maybe it's nothing serious. Maybe she just fainted. But Trudy has a look that Sophia and every other Sicilian knows, that if your pasta sticks to the wall, it's cooked, and when your body sticks to the ground, it's also cooked. By the way, don't throw your pasta on the wall. Sure, the starch will help it to stick, showing that it's al dente, but that tactic will most likely end up with starch on the wall and pasta on the floor. Just set a timer. As for the body, well, there's no timer that will help with that. Worried, the girls scamper down to the court to help. Back to the house, it's clear something has gone very, very wrong. As Dorothy, who has changed from her white tennis dress to a pink flowing shirt or possibly a robe, is sitting at the kitchen table in near hysterics. She feels guilty for Trudy's death, like she might as well have been a murderer. Blanche is quick to shut that down. This was an occurrence that happened when it happened, and it just so happened to have happened when Trudy happened to have been in town. What? Backing Blanche, Rose agrees. Yeah, Dorothy, you had nothing to do with her death. At least nothing that could get her taken to court, earning her a hard kick from Blanche under the table. Moving away from guilt, Dorothy can't understand how her vibrant, healthy friend could just drop dead like that. Putting her training to work, Rose tells her that something they work on at the crisis center is acceptance. That's great in theory, except acceptance is one of the later steps in grief. What Rose wants Dorothy to work on now is just accepting that things happen that can't always be explained or stopped. A new volley is taking place, and it's between Rose and Blanche. Instead of tennis, it's the sport of supporting Dorothy. Now it's Blanche's turn. She not only agrees with Rose's advice, but she says she's been in that position, leaving Rose shocked that Blanche has also killed her best friend, just like Dorothy has. After an apology from Rose, Blanche gets into the details of the time that she had won the Little Miss Magnolia pageant. Dorothy stops her before she continues, telling Blanche that she's upset, vulnerable, and isn't interested in hearing a story about a four-first-name-having cracker. Oh, boy. I'll be honest, for years, my friends and I called each other crackers. It was the late 90s and the early aughts. But then we learned where it came from, which was the sound of a whip being used on an enslaved person, so we stopped. Dorothy hasn't, though, and she's only getting more worked up with every word she says, and she doesn't want to hear about Billy Joe Bob Curtis rubbing up on Blanche as they sit under a magnolia tree. Offended and now unable to tell her riveting story, Blanche, with her lips tighter than whoever buried Jimmy Hoffa, apologizes for not coming from a place as classy as Brooklyn. Oh! It's important to note that this is said in a very Blanche style. She doesn't even look at Dorothy, and she's clearly pissed. Hearing how rude she was, Dorothy apologizes and agrees to hear the story, with one caveat. Blanche has to steer clear of words that are especially Georgian, like catfish, tarnation, and so on. Blanche agrees to the terms and starts with the story again. The eight-year-old Magnolia Queen had just met her friend Kathy Lee. Unable to control herself, Blanche gives more detail as to how close they were. Why they were as thick as blackstrap molasses which differentiates itself from regular molasses based on how many times the juices are boiled, causing blackstrap to be more bitter and used for things like beans or barbecue sauce. Anyway, they were as thick as the thick syrupy substance atop a stack of Johnny Cakes, or a thinner, more cornmeal-like pancake, stacked as high as an elephant's knee. Fun fact from elephantthings.com, elephants do have knees. It's often been said that they didn't, However, they also don't have four knees, as some people think. Their back legs do have knees and kneecaps, but their front joints are more like elbows and wrists. Hearing that her friend can't follow her only request, Dorothy finishes Blanche's sentence of Johnny Cakes and Molasses with on a riverboat floating down the Mississippi Delta. She doesn't then ask her friend to finish the story. She barks at her to do so. Look, no offense intended, but... It's no secret that you're playing like sh**. Slightly embarrassed by her predictability, Blanche plainly states that she wanted to introduce her new friend to her family at their catfish boil, I mean, a seafood boil and eat event. Well, as soon as Blanche's mother laid eyes on Kathy Lee, she told Blanche that she was forbidden from seeing her. Why? Because Kathy Lee's mother wasn't part of the very oh-boy group that we'll get into in another episode, the Daughters of the Confederacy. 
Blanche was devastated, as was Kathy Lee. Awkwardly, this exchange ended with Blanche's servants, yikes, snickering at Kathy's servants. Oh, boy. Being told Blanche would have to choose between her new best friend and the pair of riding boots she wanted for Christmas, she made the difficult choice and picked the boots. This entire story has Dorothy confused as to how this racist, bizarre tale relates in any way to Trudy's death or acceptance thereof. Easy, Blanche says. Years later, getting revenge for her broken heart, Kathy went on and slept with Big Daddy, something Blanche had to accept, as did her mother, who accepted not only his philandering, but the new Cadillac he gave as a birthday slash uh, my bad gift. But a plot whoopsie. Blanche tends to go back and forth on what she remembers about her father's fidelity. This story relates because she had to accept that her former friend slept with her dad. You're a dirtbag! Which, of course, reminds me of the game my friend Emily and I played about 10 years ago that wound up with us discovering that my line in the sand for friendship was that if she were to take up having an affair with both of my parents. A joke we still reference to this day. But she didn't actually do it. Hearing her own story come out of her mouth, Blanche gets candid for a moment. Sure, her family was doing fine financially, but when you get down to their actions and who they really were, well, they were trash. Something she has apparently come to accept. After some looks of WTF to one another, Rose gets the conversation back on track, reminding Dorothy of that high school reunion party thing she's hosting, which will definitely lift her spirits. With widening eyes, Dorothy remembers that she's hosting a high school party just hours after her high school bestie bit the dust. Patting her hand, Blanche tells Dorothy that she can not only face the oncoming guests, but it'll be good for everyone. Kind of an impromptu memorial service where they can all be there for each other. Dorothy understands, but is dreading telling everyone that Trudy is dead. Sophia's advice isn't to get it over with quickly or to sit everyone down. It's that she should wait a few hours, explaining that the delay would keep Dorothy from bumming out the happy hour festivities. That night, we find the house packed with guests attending the oh-so-common 43rd High School Reunion. Blanche, in her blue dress patterned with purple flowers and a purple belt, is meeting up behind the couch with Rose, who is wearing a shiny light blue dress. Knowing her friend, Blanche is reminding Rose that they are not to say anything about Trudy. It's up to Dorothy when she wants to drop the bomb on everyone. Putting their silence to the test, a woman appears and asks about Dorothy's whereabouts. Rose promises her everything is fine. It's not like anyone is dead. Ah, you almost had it, Rose. Playing the woman is Jean Palmerton. She had eight credits on screen, appearing in Bloodbath, Phyllis, The Bob Newhart Show, Rhoda, The New Mike Hammer, Throb. What? Is that right? Let me double check that, even though I just looked at it today. Are you? What are you talking about? A film called Throb? Well, that's what I'm double. I'm like, I definitely. Oh no, here it is. Throb was a TV series, genial sitcom about a young record company exec and his attempts to discover new talent while scouting his own talent. Well, I guess we need to watch this. There you go. Recognize? Oh, Jane Levy's leaves from uh, Frasier. <gasps> Paul Walker. Oh, what was this? Throb. Ugh. Okay, we were thrown off track with that. Let me get back. Her Broadway credits include The Merry Widow, The Student Gypsy, and The King and I. Looking for approval from Blanche, Rose is given a sarcastic, perfect. Over at the Punch Bowls, old Jean is going on about how great it's been to see everyone. Next to her is Sophia in one of my favorite outfits of hers, the red dress with a huge black bow and just a little bit of a cut under the bow. Very sexy. Jean is most excited to see the look on Trudy's face when she sees her as it's been years since they've seen each other. Overhearing, Sophia can't help but add that even if she waited another six months to see Trudy, the face would look the same. I guess she went the embalming route. Two hours into the party, Blanche cannot take the pressure of keeping the secret anymore, and she wants Dorothy to come out and break the news. Actually putting her work to good use, Rose reminds her how fragile Dorothy is right now and that they just need to be gentle with her. Well, gentle and caring and understanding and tender and compassionate and sympathetic and kindly. 
Wanting the pain of synonyms to end, Sophia agrees to take the responsibility of wrangling her daughter. Going into Dorothy's room, Sophia doesn't even greet her. She starts in with a, picture it, Sicily, 1852. Hanging her head in sadness and annoyance, Dorothy is not only not in the mood for a Sophia story, she knows Sophia wasn't born until 1905. Well, it's not like Sophia ever said her stories were only about her. She has simply learned from history and is sharing. Okay, so things weren't going great and the Italian people turned to the House of Savoy. This was the royal dynasty that went back all the way to 1003 in the Savoy or Southern France region. The family eventually came to rule the Kingdom of Sicily in the 1700s. They helped lead Italian unification in 1860 and ruled Italy until 1946 when it became a republic. Specifically, Giuseppe Garibaldi was an Italian revolutionary, patriot, and general. He helped create the kingdom and is considered a father of the fatherland. Oh! I did Google him, and the few images I saw, it looked like he just liked to wear some nice suits. In an effort to unify, according to Sophia, they engaged in the Crimean War, which was fought in October 1853 through February 1856. This was a war between Russia and the allies of Ottoman Empire, Sardinia, France, and the UK. The allies would go on to win the war. Back to the story. To kick off the war, Giuseppe hosted a party. The party was taking place the same night that his wife Rosa hit her sexual peak. Not wanting to hear more, Dorothy, in her gray-green smock and skirt, stands up and sits on her bed. She's in her room because her friend is dead. She doesn't need to hear a sex story. Well, FYI, this isn't a sex story. It's about not being a good host to your own party. Okay, back to the story. Except quick real-life plot whoopsie here. Giuseppe's wives, he was married twice, were Anita and Francesca. His daughter was named Rosa. So I'm sorry to the writers who only had encyclopedias in their memories to get the names right. So for this story to continue, we'll refer to his wife as Anita. Anyway, as she was playing with his saber in the bedroom, their 200 guests were getting so hungry, they were checking the mice for cheese. Wondering what the point of all of this is, Dorothy asks if it's because she's being a bad host, just like Rosa slash Anita. Well, no, the point is that Dorothy has important things to take care of, like informing guests of a death, when she's locked away, screwing around in her bedroom. Wow, for once, a story has actually been helpful. Dorothy gets it. She needs to face the thing she's fearing because the friends need to know so they can all be there for each other. With a shaking voice, Dorothy stands up and begins to walk out to the party. With her mother at her side, Dorothy calls for everyone's attention. As she starts to share what happened, she doubles over in emotional pain, calling out for her mother to help, which she is happy to do. With much less tact and emotion, Sophia just shouts out, Trudy's dead. The jarring tone and information snap Dorothy out of her literal slump. Doing damage control, Dorothy tries to explain that it happened during their tennis game. She starts to confess what she feels are her sins, that she asked Trudy to play, that she played so hard against her. In fact, she wishes that it had been her falling over dead, since everything was her fault. Pointing to the welcome league champs of 46, still unsure what that means, that the sign might as well say, Welcome to the Dorothy Guild Trudy Party! Too emotional to face judgmental eyes or answer any prying questions, Dorothy runs back to her room. Leaving her daughter to cope on her own, Sophia stays back. Then the doorbell rings. This is horrible news for Rose. Now that someone has come late, Dorothy will have to re-explain everything to them. When Blanche answers the door, she is nearly the next to fall over dead when she sees that it's Trudy, alive and well. Shaking, Blanche can't believe what she's seeing. Rose, too, is out of breath from shock, wondering what had happened leading to all of this. Trudy laughs off everyone's surprise by bragging it was a classic Trudy joke. This reveal is met with groans and boos from the partygoers, who in the last minute have been through quite the emotional roller coaster. First to speak up is Blanche, who finds nothing funny about what has been done. Neither does Rose. Trudy can't understand why anyone would be upset. This prank wasn't that different from what they would have done in high school. Blanche, of all people, tell her that high school behavior does not translate into adulthood. For example, it's not like she's still staying out late at night, parading about town, dating every man she encounters. Oh, wait. 
A look of realization comes across Blanche's face as Rose lays a consoling hand on her shoulder. Maybe she's not the best one to call Trudy out for her behavior. It isn't until Mama Sophia tells her that what she did sucked that Trudy finally apologizes. The girls tell her they don't need an apology, Dorothy does. So they begin to escort her to Dorothy's bedroom. As hushed, angered whispers surround her, Trudy turns away and goes into the hall. Getting to Dorothy's door, Blanche knocks and is told to go away. Rose gets the same treatment. Knowing that it's her fake death that has caused this emotion, Trudy won't take don't come in for an answer, and she barges through the door. Getting just a few feet into the room, everyone is stopped in their tracks as their jaws drop. Looking over to Dorothy's bed, they are flabbergasted to see that she is under the covers with Jack, Trudy's husband. What? Dorothy and Jack are just as shocked to see Trudy alive and catching them in the act. Questions about death and sex start flying. How are you here? Why are you in bed with my husband? Jack promises that it's not what it looks like. Trudy guesses that they were consoling each other over her death and they wound up getting physical. Okay, Dorothy digresses. It is what it looks like. Trudy is in shock. All she did was play a prank. How could they be so cruel as to do this? To just run to each other before she's even cold? Hearing a cue to provide her expertise, Blanche explains to Trudy that it's not always a bad person who winds up sleeping with their best friend's husband. Once again realizing that question wasn't for her, Blanche removes herself from the conversation. As soon as Trudy says she might pass out, the blankets go flying off, revealing fully dressed Jack and Dorothy. Now Trudy is even more confused about what's going on. And what's going on is revenge. Without confirmation, Dorothy assumed Trudy's death was just another one of her pranks. Bugging Jack, he finally confessed. He was in on it, and the death was staged. Besides, it's not like anything happened. He just got into bed with Dorothy for a laugh. Sophia desperately wants to add a joke, something about every time a man gets in bed with Dorothy, it's a joke. But Dorothy stops her with a finger point and a don't even think about it. Sophia can't understand why Dorothy wouldn't let her in on the secret slash double cross joke. Simple, Sophia can't keep her mouth closed. To prove how she can keep a secret, Sophia says she hasn't even told anyone about Dorothy's one night stand with the exterminator. Well, she hadn't told anyone. Now she's told everyone in the room. Point proven. Standing above her friend, Trudy firmly tells Dorothy how despicable this was, and she has just one thing to say about all of it. Man, has she missed her. Standing up to give her a hug, Dorothy shares the same sentiment. Confused about everything, Blanche can't understand why they aren't mad at each other. But for them, pranking, and I guess flat-out disrespect, is their love language. All of this insanity has made for a great reunion, a reunion that is still taking place without a host in the living room. Before moving on to the party, Blanche and Rose need to speak with Dorothy. Blanche is disgusted that Dorothy would not have let them in on it, that she would just let them console and support her. Swarming around her, they continue. They can't believe they felt the feelings they felt while she knew all along it was fake. For Blanche, this is unforgivable and just too far. She's never going to speak to Dorothy again. As Blanche and Rose storm out of the room, Dorothy is left in shock as she never thought about anyone else's feelings. Within seconds, Blanche is back with a, gotcha. With that few-second prank, she wanted to show Dorothy how she felt. And now they're all friends again, as long as she can find Rose and make sure that she's on the same page. This whole thing reminds me of a high school friend of mine. We were both very late bloomers, especially sexually, but I quickly became the Blanche. She started dating someone, and it got pretty serious, but they were going to wait for a while to be with each other. He was the son of a preacher man. Yes, we sang that song at the wedding. Yes, they have since divorced. Anyway, one morning really early before I left for work, she called. We lived far away from each other at that time, so unplanned calls meant news, hopefully good, sometimes bad. So she calls, and she's kind of frantic, not like call 911 frantic, but I can tell it she's emotional and worked up. She finally tells me that she and that guy had sex. One problem, though, the condom broke. At first, I was kind of surprised because I know that that's a pretty rare thing. But for two fumbling virgins, I figured maybe they put it on wrong or something. So I asked her about her cycle. We did some math and I told her that she was very likely totally fine in regard to being pregnant. I told her how to get a morning after pill, so on and so forth. Years later, and I mean years after their wedding, 
of which I was the maid of honor, she said something that had me confused, so I clarified. That's when I ended up learning that the two of them actually had not had sex as they were waiting for marriage. When I asked her why she had called me to say that they had, she said it was so that no one would bug them at the wedding about being virgins. When I asked why she called, faking an emotion, getting my help, causing me to be late for work, well, let's just say there's a reason we aren't friends anymore. It's one thing to fake a friend being dead for a couple of hours. It's another to use your closest friend's knowledge and manipulate them and to have them keep a secret for like a decade. So it just it, that wasn't a prank, but it kind of it reminded me of that. And for me, that wasn't the breaking point. But that's something I think of often now that that relationship's over as kind of a reminder of like they didn't fully trust you. You were not as close as you thought. That's not OK to be treated that way. To be trudied that way? Oh. I didn't like that aspect of Dorothy. Yeah. That was that did not seem like her. And I really thought it was going to be that she would end up calling out someone who was, in fact, her bully. But it seems mutual. Maybe they were mean girls, but almost only to each other. Maybe, hopefully, not bullies to other people at school. But I think that's funny because different people bring out different parts of you. So if you haven't seen someone in 40 years... And you went from being a teenager to an older person. I think that part would still kind of come back or aspects of it. My dad has been to now, I don't know, his 60th high school reunion yeah. or something. He's noticed that the, every time he's gone, that a lot of the same cliques, a lot of the same groups, they just form right back up. Mm -hmm. No one is comfortable. And they fall into those same roles they had instantly, he said. He's, said. he's, yeah. he's seen. So I believe it. Yeah. That's why I've never had any desire to go to a high school reunion. I just don't understand what on earth we would talk about. I'm not going. So besides Dorothy's bully aspect or just yuckiness, what did you think of the episode? I thought it was above average overall. Mm -hmm. The only thing I really didn't like was that it was Dorothy and Trudy's relationship. I didn't like that being portrayed or having it resolve in such a way that they didn't address how awful they are to each other. That's just like not a that's just not a good relationship. Yeah. But I think, but at least they do all kind of call it out because there have been other relationships or things that they've done to each other that isn't really acknowledged. So for Blanche and Rose to be like from minute one, uh, what's up with you and this friend? Yeah, the vibe is weird yeah. immediately. And, and, and they were right there with you. Like, I don't like the sight of this person. <laughs> I don't like how weird she's being or rude. So I think it was kind of fun because it is a side we don't get to see because she's you know, not in high school. A couple of other things I really liked was one very quick was Sophia bursting into the kitchen and saying, <laughs> picture it, Sicily, 19, whatever. Oh, yeah, and she goes in Dorothy's room. She's just like, we got to, I got to get through this. We got a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of mourners out there, people, partiers. Uh, and then also the, the realizations that Blanche was going through throughout the entire episode. Oh, yeah. I found very amusing. And yeah, I, I liked how, I liked that it, it seemed like a good time for something like that to, to happen for sort of a like a true character development. Yeah. And it was cool to see her come to those things herself instead of people calling her this and that. She's like, oh, <laughs> we were they were trash. Yeah. And I was out there partying too much or yeah. whatever. And yeah, I'm still doing that. Yeah. She was really the star of the episode. I love Dorothy's it. so busy with Trudy. She's kind of secondary almost, even though it's a Dorothy story. And Blanche really carries it. I would say I disagree with Blanche that she she's she's still doing the right thing in her life. That's right. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Please. Yeah. I wish I could stay out all night still. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Fall asleep on the couch at 830. <sighs> Boy. Another aspect I really enjoy in this episode is while you have the plot of Trudy being dead and this party and all of that, it's just a joke heavy episode. Not in a shoehorned way of we've got to get to this joke to that. It's just, hey, the girls are kind of all together. Let's just write some boom, boom, boom. I also found the surprises to be actually surprising. Oh, my I, God. I was watching you. Your arms were going. You, like, threw back in the sofa. You're when, like, what? Yeah, Trudy died. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And then wait, what was the other one? When she comes through the door. Oh, yeah, when then Trudy's alive and I couldn't yeah, believe it. Yeah, your arms were, like, and out. You're like, what? My jaw dropped when I saw Dorothy and the husband <laughs> yes. in bed. I was I was silent with a, with a <laughs> hanging jaw open, open jaw hanging. 
again, that's the best part of watching these again is oh. watching them with you for the first time. And you're like, oh, what is this going to happen? I'm like, oh, my God, he really doesn't know what's going to happen. I had no happen. idea. That's so exciting. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> so you're welcome. You get to live vicariously through me. That's right. My brand new golden girl's eyes. <laughs> I don't really know what the lesson is in today's episode. In the end, Rose and Blanche's reactions are very valid. I would be livid if I not only had to get the house ready, but had to host reunion people while also spending the day watching someone die and then supporting a friend through that. Just say it's a prank. I'm totally on board. But don't F with my emotions. So I suppose the lesson is to recognize that people will react to things differently. Do I love drag race because my love language with those I'm closest to is drag queen roasting? Yeah, but it's limited to those I'm close with. Well, for the most part. And it's never to a point of hurting feelings, or at least that's not the goal, and I hope that doesn't happen. You can't go throwing around your very specific, very mean sense of humor with everybody. That kind of stress could lead to someone dropping dead. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we talk pizza ads and pill addiction in high anxiety. out later they were all on hardcore drugs allegedly. oh my god that's right <laughs> where's dad you guys running around in robes <laughs> you can see the, my my geometry teacher's toes <laughs> what's the difference between a skirt and pants a seam yeah oh okay <laughs> probably pockets i thought there was a joke there pubic I know that one's like really funny, but it's like, are we talking about uh, like a bull's testicle hair? <laughs> Is that the hair we're laughing at? Oh, yeah. Do bulls have pubic hair? I would think every I guess mammal any, does. Yeah, just that area. Yeah. It's just weird to think of like pubes on a on a buffalo or something. Pubes, pubes on, on a buffalo. buffalo. <laughs> Say it again. I was looking. I was trying to find lust for Frankenstein. I can gather a lot from a thumbnail on a certain <laughs> websites. How the left boob looks especially nice. Damn it. In a hole. And each hole. The party was also the same night. His rife, rife Rosha swarming her. They can't believe they felt feel. That was more of a horse. I don't know what that was. That was incredible. I wish your mic had been on. Second one did sound a little bit more like a balloon fart, but I appreciate the effort. Tell me it's not good. I didn't say it wasn't good. I'll scream. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always.